Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Dr. Dev Banerjee. Dr. Dev is an experienced sleep physician and medical director at Lullaby Sleep, which is located on the central coast of New South Wales. Between 2004 and 2013, Dr. Dev was a senior consultant physician in sleep medicine at the Birmingham Heartlands Hospital and senior research fellow at Aston University. He has also worked for the University of Sydney and St. Vincent's Hospital. Dr. Dev regularly provides sleep advice on TV and radio and as a medico-legal expert in the field of sleep medicine. In this episode, we took an introductory journey into the world of sleep, discussing some of the basic concepts and dispelt many myths and misconceptions. This was one of the most entertaining and wild chats that Jake and I have had, and uh, we really enjoyed ourselves, and uh, I think you'll find this episode very entertaining. So grab your favourite beverage and buckle up. I think one of the things that COVID has taught me is that because I do mainly Zoom consults, obviously in your field you've got to have a bit more touchy-feely touchy-feely, mm-hmm. but for my business, Zoom consults works very well, because you see them on the screen and you hear about the sleep and do whatever, you don't have to I call it medicine sans touch rather than medicine sans frontier so yeah. you don't have to get a stethoscope out and it's like being on show on screen it's like, it's showtime! And, and patients love it. Because if you go on screen, it can be... And if you're not engaged with the individual, it can be really boring. Yeah. It can be really, really boring. And so I've sort of semi-perfected the art of doing Zoom and having them engaged. Because a lot of these guys are very sleepy because they're not sleeping. Yeah. And to have them. And so that sort of comedy background helps me engage with people. And they say oh, that was really fun, actually, and getting them engaged. And back to what we all know, laughter is the best medicine. Well, so that's where I've used my background in comedy to engage with people and have a good laugh. Um, and so all the jokes come out regularly, you know. So, yeah, it's great fun, you know, doing what I'm doing. Well, if the jokes don't work, they'll fall asleep, which is what... So you win either way, right? Yeah, look, I think my jokes are funnier on Zoom than it is face-to-face, actually. <laughs> they're pretty the, good. I'm finding yeah, them very entertaining. The mechanisms, I don't know what the mechanism of that is, but anyway. So do you want us to call you Dr. Dev or Dr. Banerjee? Dr. Dev, oh, don't call me Banerjee. People call me all sorts of things. They get banjuri, banana juice, banjo. <laughs> it's far, it's three syllables, so Banerjee. So Dr. Dev, Dev, De- Dev's, Dev's fine. Dev's First good. term. And I'm with all my patients. It's very personal, you know, hey, I'm, you know, we're, we're with it shoulder to shoulder to make them feel better. And I think that's key just to Dr. Dev, Dev, whatever. Easy. Okay. So we're here to talk about sleep. And I was just discussing with Jake earlier today, we were preparing the questions and it seems like a huge topic. We might not be able to get through everything tonight. We actually may need to get you back for a second episode because there's just such so much to cover. I mean, even last night at uh, Jake's birthday dinner, we were talking to a couple there and 
it seems like the, the conversation going around the table was uh, sleep and children and lack <laughs> of sleep. So it seems quite, <laughs> I'm sure Jake's going to get a lot of out of this epi- these, these episodes. Well, I kind of feel like we've almost got onto the home run now and you should have been here a year ago, but um, <laughs> we're definitely going to get into some of that. So uh, Dev, just before we were recording, you were telling us a bit about your background. It was fascinating. So let's capture that again. So tell us uh, how you trained and where you're from and where your accent's from. So... Um, um, I've got a multitude of accents because um, I don't know whether it's something I learned at medical school, but it's a, a personality trait of mine that I can do many accents. And I think the beauty of coming from the UK is that we can live so close and the accents change immensely. Yeah. And one of the advantages of my life has been I've sort of moved around a little bit. So um, although I'm originally from... Uh, northeast India when my father arrived in 1959 on a boat literally uh, although we say stop the boats they didn't in my dad's case (laughs) he arrived in Southampton right okay Um, so he got the boat from Mumbai and it went all the way around and then ended him in Southampton but I think he he had the map the wrong way around and instead of going east to London he went west and ended up in Swansea <laughs> so he, went in, he ended up in South Wales you know boy oh and that's where I was born in South Wales in Swansea and he's a, a retired anaesthetist bless him so he was a registrar in Llenelli now it's not Llenelli it's Llenelli can you translate that into Australian? What are you? Where are you guys? Oh about? yeah, mate. Oh, well, Ellie, mate. And then psh, that's the an Aussie opening a tinny. <laughs> and when I came to Australia a few years ago, I, psh, what the hell is that? And that's a tinny. Anyway, so then my dad became a, a consultant anaesthetist in Yorkshire which is Leeds, and I then grew up and went to school in Leeds. Yeah. Now, those who um, never heard the Leeds accent or Yorkshire accent, they should listen to Sean Bean because he's from Sheffield. Hey, up, Sean Bean, you know. It's very broad. And it's very broad. And you sort of think, how the hell did he become a Hollywood, Hollywood actor? Hey, Gandalf, pass us that stick, love, you know. <laughs> and I don't know how he does it. And it is incredibly embarrassing when I hear him, you know, on some of the, the shows he does. He still has a very, very strong Sheffield accent. Yeah. But then I graduated in Leeds. So I went to school, I went to Leeds Uni and graduated. And then uh, I was interested in studying further postgraduate medicine. And I did that in the West Midlands, Birmingham. And so I had another exposure to another strange accent. All right, Birmingham! And, um, Peaky blinders. <laughs> and they don't all sound like that, but they do like, you know, oh, let's, let's really go swimming to die. And it's a very hard... And then what taught me was to understand the accents and the differentiating with the tone and the pitch, and that's how I got interested in doing accents. So I can do them all. I could do, why I man, Geordie, like, you know. Uh, and then, all right, um, do the Liverpool, you know, Spursy side of your head or the blue, like, you know, soft lad. And then I can do the, <laughs> my name is Michael Caine. I could do a very corporal. Welcome to the London City Guild. Yeah. Uh, so, but I can do the, I can do the French, I can do the Italian, I can do, obviously I can do an Indian one. And like my, most favourite guys, Apu from uh, Bart Simpson. He's a white guy, you know. But he does. He got into trouble accents. for that. 
You got, yeah. Was that Hank Azaria? Who was yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, which, as an original Indian, I think it's really funny because what if you meet comedians and meet comedians in in my you know sort of life as a comedian, you know, there's no sort of um, ego about oh you're Indian or not. You know, your jokes are Indian. I don't like your jokes. Who cares? It's just funny. Or it's it's just not funny. really funny, which is why I like Russell Peters. Oh yeah, he is the best. Yes. And he does the best ethnic jokes. And you go to his shows, and when he does the Iranian Persian stuff, all the Persians just burst. They're just splitting the sides. Yeah. And the Indian jokes are really funny. You know, call me on 792-2845. You know, and it's like, <laughs> and the Indians love it. So taking the piss out of yourself is a very important fundamental way of well-being and so i always take the piss out of myself and when i see patients and yeah they're not sleeping they've got insomnia they've got ptsd a lot of ptsd a lot of anxiety i mean covid has turned everybody's world upside down and so i meet these guys and i make them laugh yeah and i joke about them and if it's aussie you know and they snore like for example i met one guy and um i said look mate um, you snore so bad, you got sleep apnea, you stop breathing. I think you're going to need one of those little CPAP machines, you know, the little mask over the nose, help with the breathing. And he said to me, oh, yeah, you poor me bastard. No one's <laughs> going to have sex with me. I said, mate, the way you snore, no one definitely wants to have sex with you. Yeah. Forget your wife or the dog or whoever it is. <laughs> and he found that really funny. Yeah. And another guy, I said, and I'm sorry if we're recording this, but you might have to censor this. And I said to another guy, he said, when you wake up more refreshed, you, you'll get your uh, erectile dysfunction back. Because mm. one of the things in severe sleep apnea is if you have sleep apnea in REM sleep, and we tend to do more dreaming early part of the morning and it's at the time when you get the vascular engorgement of your penis so a lot of people with severe sleep apnea they have a lot of morning erectile dysfunction right. so i said to him look mate um you know it'll improve your erectile dysfunction so when i got him onto CPAP, and a few weeks later he came back i said so uh how's a morning erection he said mate <laughs> i can't believe it my wife said it's like a washing line she wants to hang the washing on it <laughs> and it was brilliant, and he he just laughed, yeah. and he's happy, and that's my that's my gig. I just sort of want to make people happy, make people feel better. I don't save lives. I save marriages, but I don't save lives. Well, what made you want to get into sleep in the medicine. first place? It's it's quite a unusual area of medicine to move into. How did you sort of? Yeah, a lot of people say that. What 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 attracted you to sleep medicine? What did you get into sleep medicine? I asked one of my. Uh, um, colorectal surgeons what made you get into colorectal surgery he always said to me he said it was a quite a tortuous entry at first but when I got through <laughs> I slided into the uh, the academic path <laughs> I thought you're funny I, get, I like that answer yeah but when I say about sleep I, the answer is everybody sleeps we sleep a third of our lives and something goes wrong crazy and it could be if your kids it could be if your teenagers it could be our 
you know, tender age of middle age, and it could be when you're elderly. And so you, you, you look at the, the whole spectrum of the age, whatever gender you are, whatever colour you are, whatever sexuality you are, and you feel as if you're making a difference to everybody. Yeah. Now, if I was a prostate surgeon, I can probably make half the world happy, but is that fulfilling? Mm. Nah. But when you're a sleep specialist, you can make the whole world happy. And so that's the reason why. But it is quite a niche area. A lot of people go in via the neurology room, the psychiatry route or the breathing route so I did a bit of the respiratory medicine at first and then specialised in sleep and then I really was, was taken aback by the holistic nature of sleep medicine and that's the, the who I am and what I am and why I am and where I am, I suppose. And there's very few of us that do look at the holistic picture of sleep. So, uh, so it is quite a niche area. Mm. Yeah, David and I were talking before we recorded about exactly what you just said. We all need sleep. We all need to eat well, etc. And it's these things that seem to be ignored and not done by the average person very well. And yet, you know, without it, we really, really suffer. So I'm, I'm interested as a doctor, what, what happens in sleep training and, and, and your background when you're a physician? What, what kind of stuff were you doing and, and how did you learn your trade? Well, uh, it was interesting you say that because at training level, although I go back to the 90s, when I was in Birmingham, um, there wasn't really much sleep training as such. And, and then you, you do the sleep apnea breathing side as an offshoot of respiratory medicine. Um, and then you sort of realise that there's a lot more to it. There's the insomnia, there's a sleepwalking, there's restless legs, narcolepsy. And therefore, you then realise that there's a whole new paradigm of sleep disorders. And it's not until, I suppose, the last... 15 years that sleep medicine has become a speciality in its own right mm. but it's still a little bit disjointed where the the breathing doctors who want to do the respiratory side of sleep medicine will find insomnia not particularly attractive to them because they're not a psychiatrist or psychologist or the narcolepsy because they might be the neurologist interested so it's still a bit disjointed so um so the training, I, I would say, has to be more holistic and encompass all the specialities, which is the beauty of sleep medicine. So, Did mm. you have to sort of pick up some skills, you know, here or in another country or in a, in a way that wasn't available in the UK? Well, good point. So I came to Australia 2003, not for the Rugby World Cup. <laughs> Although it was a great moment and moment of my life when Johnny Wilkinson put those three points over. I remember that as well. I uh, remember that as well. And then I went back to, so I was in Birmingham, came here for a year, 15 months, went back, became head of services, and then basically got a phone call 2012 by St. Vincent's Hospital and mm. headhunted me and said, look, we need you to run our services. Um, and so I arrived back in 2013 and the rest is history, I suppose. Although I'm not at St. Vincent's anymore because I've realised after 25 years of doing public service running around ED wards, you know, it's, I'm again past my 50, well past my 50. It's a young person's game. Yeah. It's tiring. Um, and I just enjoyed talking to people, understanding where they're coming from. And although I'm not a psychiatrist, um, I do feel my personal qualities of being able to talk and engage and understand and read, you know, the emotional intelligence of, you know, I've always been taught that 
the silence is golden. And when there's a silence and someone is trying to tell me something, I can learn more about the individual rather than if I broke the silence to say, oh, look, so tell me about, do you have any pets? Do you have allergies from you? No, you keep the silence. So that was a gradual um, development in, in with my personality. And it's a, it's a personality thing, you know. So talking to people, understand where they're coming from. And being in the 50s, I can relate to people of our age who have got teenage kids who, who have gone off the rails, you know. And I know why they're not sleeping, because the kids have gone off the rails. But I get it. Or you've got elderly parents that you're worried about. I get it. Or you've got young children that are just not sleeping. I get it, because I was one of them. So I get it. I get it. I understand where you're coming from. And that, for many patients, is a revelation. I also have ADHD as well. Well, that was interesting because I didn't until my son got diagnosed with ADHD. Because the paediatrician asked my wife, who was at the, you know, the consult, and the paediatrician said to my wife, uh, so where does your son get ADHD from? Oh, from his dad. And then when I saw the clinic letter, I said, family history of ADHD. And I said to my wife, who's, who's she talking about? <laughs> talking about you, Dimbo. Have I got ADHD? Yeah. And for me, that was rev revelation because my mother would say to my wife, oh, you should see his school reports. It'd say, would learn to run first before learn to walk. In other words, I had the hyperactivity aspects of it. Yeah. And that was a revelation for me. So when people come to me and say, I've got ADHD and I can't sleep, I get it. Yeah. Because that's me. And I say to these guys, you know what, buddy? Use your ADHD to fulfill your life. Don't let it be your negative impact on you. Don't start on the meter race, 10 meters behind everybody else. Use it to your ability. And I look back and I, and I, I say you know, to people, when I was doing ED in Birmingham and there was like 30 people in ED and it was complete bedlam, how did I survive that? It was my ADHD that I survived. Mm. And then people say, man, you get it. And so that's the story of that. You know, mm. I get it. So just taking things back to the very basics, um, when people say I go to, uh, everyone understands what happens. You go to sleep, you go to sleep, you rest, you wake up, you feel better. But what is actually happening like on like a scientific level or a technical, a technical level, what actually happens when you go to sleep? What is our body doing mm. and why do we need it? The physiology of sleep is very interesting. Um, a lot of people have read Matthew Walker's book, yep. and um, which is a great book. But what actually, if you look at his chapters, it is the, the basic building blocks of, of understanding sleep. And one of the building blocks is understanding the physiology of sleep. So, um, I mean, we all, why do we sleep? You know, I suppose we sleep to restore our energy, to improve immunity, to lay down memory, which we do in REM sleep. Um, and we know that if you don't sleep, how incredibly compromised we feel in the day with regard to um, psychology or physicality or impact on relationships or occupational, the whole broad spectrum. So physiologically when we fall asleep it's, a, it's not a okay you're awake and then you're asleep it's a very much a fluid sort of motion and if you look at the brain waves and the brain waves is the give is a big 
give away with how our brain physiologically is changing. So when, if you put an EEG lead onto our scalp and measure those electrical currents, when we're awake, the brainwave is this sort of spiky, up, down, up, down, high frequency. It's called an alpha wave. Mm -hmm. And so when we fall asleep, it slows down. And then when we're in deep sleep, it slows down into this more slow up, down, up, down. And that's called delta sleep. So alpha waves, alpha sleep, or alpha wakefulness, delta sleep. And then when we dream, our eyes move back and forth like windscreen wipers. It's called rapid eye movement sleep. Don't ask me why we do that, but we do. And that is when we dream. I don't know how or what people are dreaming about, hmm. but I know they're dreaming when I see those eyes moving back and forth. And so if you look at What's happening whilst we're awake, what's happening when we're in deep sleep, and what's happening in REM? Understanding the physiology will therefore understand the psychology of what people are describing. Sleepwalking, mm. nightmares, night terrors, acting out dreams, yeah? And then, if you understand therefore the psychology, you'll then understand the treatment options or the pharmacology. For me, that's called good medicine because there's too much wishy-washy medicine that goes along. Hey, doctor, I can't sleep. Okay, here's a prescription of tamazepam. Without understanding the physiology, it mm. could be restless legs. It could be sleep apnea. It could be because they're having night terrors. It could be because they've got insomnia and they're staring at the ceiling. Now, that ain't a sleep problem. That's a not able to fall asleep problem. See what I mean? Yeah. So understanding the physiology is fundamental in my uh, sort of practice. Mm -hmm. So how do you do a sleep study? What happens? So when someone comes to either to come into a hospital to have a sleep test or, uh, I mean, the technology has improved so much. So in my clinic, we send a piece of kit to the patient um, or they pick up the kit from our clinic and they apply the equipment on. So to measure the brain waves is a, a little square gadget they put on on the forehead. It looks like a coal miner's lamp. Mm -hmm. um, it not shine in the dark, I promise you, if you're down at the pits, boy. Um, so it measures all the brain waves, the EEG and the eye movements. You've got a thing under the nose that measures airflow. You've got a belt around the chest that measures chest movements and a belt around the waist that measures abdominal movements and a thing on the finger or the oximetry that measures oxygen. So I can tell from that if there's a breathing problem or if there's a fundamental sleep problem, how broken the sleep is. Or people who have, for example, insomnia, busy brains, when they're in delta sleep, there's a lot of alpha waves bursting through. It's called an alpha delta effect. The busy brain that many people have an issue with with regard to sleep. And we've seen a lot of that with COVID, mental health, anxiety, PTSD. That's another massive subject, PTSD. You can see that even when they are asleep, the sleep is completely just all over the place mm. by the alpha waves and the delta sleep and so on. Sleepwalking, for example, only occurs in delta sleep. It doesn't occur in REM sleep. It doesn't occur in transition to sleep. It occurs in deep sleep. And so I know and I can tell with someone who sleepwalks, I know there's a delta sleep problem. Okay. So these are sort of things we can tell from the sleep test. Fascinating what we can tell. I know it sounds stupid but how easy is it to sleep with all that gear on are you gonna then provoke insomnia or sleep problems by wearing all the gear 
It's very hard. Oh, you're just like everybody else. Oh, this is the worst night of my life. For God's sake, it's a day to gather an exercise. You're not going to get your beauty sleep that night. (laughs) Relax, man. You know, so it's a day to gather an exercise. It's very hard to stay awake all night long with a thing on the forehead and a thing up the nose and two belts on the chest. It's no big deal. Um, And I can assure you that when people have sleep tests, it's actually not too bad. And yeah, look, you know, you might sort of take a little while just to, get comfortable and if it's a bit scratchy and but it's when you are asleep was what I'm interested in yeah. so people say I stayed awake for two hours trying to get comfortable I'm not interested in that because I know you're awake yeah. I want to know what you do when you're asleep and even if it's one hour two hours of of, of a window of opportunity to understand what the brain is doing because that's what it's all about what is the brain doing when you're asleep it's that window of opportunity to look into the brain and if it's two hours of data more than enough mm. So we spoke about the brain waves and, and moving from REM sleep to deep sleep and, and dreaming and so on. But what actually happens with the body as well? I'm sure there's more than just the brain waves in terms of restoration, recovering from injuries, so on. I mean, what, what's happening on – I'm just trying to paint a picture for the listener to understand what their body's doing while they're asleep other than just the brain side of things. Yeah, look um – there's lots of uh, interesting science behind hormones, for example. Believe it or not, we secrete more growth hormone whilst we're asleep, which is why they say we grow whilst we're asleep. It's true, but actually it's during delta sleep. So that's why when we are um, a lot older, we have a lot less delta sleep or slow wave sleep, which is why we grow out of sleepwalking. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that when we have less delta sleep as we get older that's why we stop growing that's not the case but it's a fascination to see how much or endocrine changes there are in sleep the other thing that's very interesting is cortisol now cortisol rises dramatically when we get up in the morning but for the insomniacs the cortisol at night time is sky high that's our stress hormone correct it's our stress flight fright and flight response and a lot of the flight fright and flight response the cortisol and the adrenaline and so on is what drives that busy brain those alpha waves into delta waves so cortisol levels are very interesting to see um and there's lots of other neuroendocrine or neurochemicals that are fascinating the dopamine system the acetylcholine system so acetylcholine is a neurochemical in the brain that when we're awake is firing in our cortex but whilst we're asleep it's not firing as much so, so there's an endocrine neurochemical level then there's obviously a uh, more cardiopulmonary level of the body so for example in sleep apnea the breathing breathing stop breathing breathing stop and the oxygen going up and down the pulse going up and down and that's something that in our sleep, we can determine from the sleep study. But interestingly, in REM sleep, then we have a lot more variability in our pulse. There's a lot more sort of adrenaline going on. Probably depends what you're dreaming about. And the, you get a lot of waxing and waning of the breathing in REM sleep. And the heart rate variability is key to something like the Fitbit. Hmm. So they use the Alta HR. So it's basically, you wonder, how come do these Fitbits um, or of these pulse rates monitors determine whether in REM sleep or deep sleep or wake sleep because they're not actually attaching you know stuff to your brain mm. or to the scalp they measure it from the pulse rate variability because the pulse rate variability is quite high when we're awake the pulse rate jumping up and down when we're in deep sleep it's a lot less unstable so the deviation in the pulse is a lot less, so the pulse rate variation is very narrow mm. and then when we're in REM it jumps up and down a bit and that's how that Alter HR works. 
and is it true that I don't know if I've got this right way around. There's four stages of non-REM sleep and only one stage of REM sleep. So REM sleep is just REM sleep. Now, what does that actually mean? What does REM sleep mean? So REM sleep is rapid eye movement sleep. Right. It's, it's the, the eyes that move back and so forth. So when you're dreaming. When we're dreaming. Yeah. Okay. Um, humans do it, animals do it, we all do it. Okay. Um, and then the non-REM sleep just basically means when we're not dreaming. Mm -hmm. So we go from wake into stage one, which is the transition into non-REM. It's a very fluid sort of uh, status we sort of jump in and out of sleep again it's not like a trap door where you sleep or where you're awake stage two is sort of light sleep we used to have stage three and stage four but now stage three and stage four is just amalgamated to stage three which is the delta sleep and and you go through different periods all night correct typically um you do stage one two three rem then wake roll over one, two, three, REM, one, two, three, REM, and in cycles. Yes. Now, those cycles is critical in understanding sleep. So they're generally between 90 to 120 minutes. So if you went to bed at 11, you do a light, deep dream, light, deep dream, 11, one, three, five, seven, up. Yes. And so everybody has this almost like a pacemaker of their cycles. It's very well controlled and regulated, probably from the central nervous system and also the neurokine working with um, the parts of the brain that determines REM mm. and non-REM and so on. So a tip, if you have to get up, let's say you're gonna go to the airport, hopefully we're all opening up, well, hey, <laughs> um, I can't wait to go to the Sunshine Coast. <laughs> um, and um, so if you're gonna get the plane at five, but you're uh, at a, a you, and you've got to sort of get up at four, but you're a 11 o'clock person. So 11, one, three, five, seven. You're almost better off waking up at three and complete the cycles. Yes. And have that extra half an hour on the plane. Because when you get up at four to get to the airport and you get up at delta sleep or slow wave sleep, you feel absolutely terrible. You're just hungover almost, just the inertia. And it's like when we were interns in hospitals, if we get woken up in deep sleep, you're completely disorientated. Yeah. Can you just break that down again? Sorry. So you sleep in cycles, so it's every three... Every So 90 minutes, let's call it two hours. Every two so hours. So if you go to bed at 11, right. so 11, one, three, five, seven, up. Right. So if you have the alarm on at six, you're in half the cycle between five and seven. So therefore, having the alarm on at six, and if you're in deep sleep, it's much harder to get out of bed because of disorientation. You're better off getting up at five. Right. Huh. That's interesting. Because you're completing the cycles, which is why when we, after a dream sleep, when we wake up, we feel so much more, ah. Ready for the day. Ready for the day. But if you've got an alarm going beep, 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 and you're in the slow wave sleep. So if you've got to get up at six, you're better off getting to bed at 10 or at 12. Right. So you've got to understand your own cycles and times because it's very, very precision. Right. So if you're going to bed late, you're better off going to bed another hour later because you're going to feel pretty awful in the morning. So. so is it true that different people require different amounts of sleep? Or is it just a myth? People say, oh, I only need five hours sleep. I'm some kind of genetic superhuman freak and I'm, and I'm fine like that. Or is there truth to that in terms of, or is it maybe what you're 
you're saying they, they're sleeping in those cycles and maybe they get away with less. Uh, yeah, um, I think generally we would say you know, between six and nine hours, there's, there's some sort of a bell-shaped distribution, so to speak, with how much you need. There are people who are very, very sleepy. They've clearly, you know, a long sleepers. And there's people who think they get away with less than five hours of sleep, like one of the, the Bond character did, whatever his name was. <laughs> yeah. Look what happened to him in the end, I suppose. Um, and... Um, um, it's unsustainable and there's a lot of interest in research on short sleepers and risk of weight gain, diabetes, glucose, metabolism. And that's another thing, you know, in, in sleep, you know, uh, metabolism and, and so on. Um, and so the short sleepers, when they say, I can get away with four hours, yeah, you're just saying that because that's all the sleep you get. Right. Um, but in fact, you need a lot more. So six to nine. Six to nine. It's very right. common with... Um, you know, entrepreneurs and, and politicians, uh, they, they'll say that they get by on, you know, four hours sleep. And you think, really? You're running yeah, a country Margaret, on four hours uh, sleep? Margaret Thatcher, yes. she always used to say she had four hours of sleep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, George Bush, I think junior, um, always goes eight hours sleep. Oh, okay. He, he absolutely swore by he needs to sleep. So... Yeah, look, I think it's, what you say is a very interesting area, particularly living in Sydney, very corporate, a lot of bankers, a lot of finance guys, uh, it's a lot of stress. Um, and I was, um, I've done a lot of corporate sleep health work. So I used to do some of the CBA sit-ins um, in one of the towers um, by by the you know, by the water's edge. And, um, and what always struck me with bankers is that uh, and it's not necessarily which bank and that bank or this bank. It's it's just the whole industry. They work long hours and they and driven by the competitive edge, the margins, the deadlines, and no one lives in Double Bay anymore. I don't think if you're a junior banker, they live an hour and a half away. Mm. So they're, they're traveling as well. I think we've got a huge problem in Sydney, um, where the junior corporate guys traveling in and working late. The lawyers are just the same. Uh, I see a lot of burnout, mm. unfortunately. And what I, my involvement is really trying to get them understanding and respect sleep. And you need sleep. And it isn't a case of, well, I'll work until two and then get up at six. Yeah. Or revising for exams. Yeah. This is another thing. They need REM sleep to lay down the memory. So if you're a student revising for exams and you're um, getting up at three o'clock in the morning to start revising, then you lose your REM sleep because you have REM mainly between three and six. So you won't remember what the heck you read the day before yeah, because I haven't had a chance to lay down the memory in REM sleep well, people say they don't it's almost like people wear it as a badge of honour oh I don't need sleep I'm a machine you know I'll sleep when I'm dead you know all these sort of statements that people make I think things are changing I yeah. think I think um, we now with with COVID dare I say I think people have realised wellness mm. looking good feeling good which is the you, mantra of our podcast. Yes. I know <laughs> I know you guys want to make people look good. Um, and I also uh, make people feel good um, by getting them better sleep, whatever mechanism that might be. So if you feel good, you look good. And if you mm. look good, you feel good. Mm. And the two work in tandem. It's like a tapestry and you can't tease it out. Yeah. So my job is to complement what you guys are doing. You know, you look good, but if you don't feel good... And you look at yourself in the mirror, you're going to say, I don't look good. 
And it's all to do with the psychology, it's all to do with well-beingness. And I think we've learned a lot that people are realising, like young corporates are, that wellness and well-being is a massive part to play because in the old days, when we used to do medicine, it was saving lives. And so it was, oh, I'm ill, I can't go to work. The absenteeism concept. Now it's a presenteeism concept. You don't feel good because you didn't sleep well, you come to work, but you're unproductive, you don't get anything done and you don't meet your deadlines and so on. So the young corporates and everybody else are now realising that well-being is very important to be productive in the day. Mm. And hence companies like Google and Apple are yeah. really, you know, looking after their employees. Yeah, look, I, I have a lot of Google employees on my books. Uh, amazing people, amazing people, work amazingly hard. But um, a lot of the Google employees, the, a lot of IT guys are night owls mm -hmm. um, because they just are. I, you, you sort of meet people and you know, these guys will say, I'm, I work very well between hours of 10 and 2. Yeah. And I couldn't do that. I'm gone by 10. Mm -hmm. uh, but Apple and Microsoft and Google and Facebook recognize that these night owls work best. And when they're in the zone and they're doing their thinking, you can't sort of say, oh, you must be in bed by half past 10. Because mm. that's what the dictum would say in the old days, be bed at half past 10. But what we'd say is go to bed when you're sleepy, but make sure you're up at least 10 or 11. And Google allows that. Yes. Mm. And I think that's important because they understand the human physiology that their delayed sleep phase, so their sleep cycles would be two, four, six, eight, ten 10 up. It's yeah. funny you say that. I, at uni, I used to live with a guy who now lives in Melbourne uh, and he is in now um, IT security. He's very much like that. He's had a server in his bedroom and all this stuff. And uh, yeah, he would be up all night just coding and that's what that's what he was. And then he would sleep in the day to about midday and that's just, for him, was normal. And he gets everything we used done. We call him the vampire. He gets everything <laughs> done. Yeah. And he's very good at his job. Yes. I bet you he's oh. great at his job. Yeah, very, um, very good. And I think that's another thing with parents... I'm a parent, I've got two teenagers, and whether you're east, west, north, south suburbs of Sydney, teenagers are a little bit of a night owl and drives parents crazy. And it's not because there's pizza boxes under the bed with mouldy, you know, pepperoni pizza leftovers, but their sleep cycles are out of sync. And they are all night owls, not all of them, but, you know, generally. And, you know, there's screens and, yeah, look, there's gaming and going on. And if, if you allow them to, they probably won't get to sleep until one. And then they've got to be up at 6.30, 7 to get into school. Mm. Now, the problem is, is for the parents is they go nuts because the teenagers won't get out of bed on time and they've got to go to work. And the stress of that. Yeah. Yeah? And it drives them crazy. And then they have insomnia and then they get stress and then they get the cortisol up. Then they have the alpha waves over the children. And I say to them, who's got the problem? When I've got a teenager in my clinic with the parents and the, the mother says, or the dad says, oh, uh, young Johnny can't get him out of bed. And I say, and I say to Johnny, what do you think? Yeah, whatever. Dunno. The monosyllabic, I've got a 16-year-old son. Yeah, dunno. What's for dinner? <laughs> uh, pepperoni, extra large. Those, that's the only vocabulary they know. Forget <laughs> algebra, you know. Mm -hmm. Forget about the history of mankind or womankind. And so I say to the kid, how are you doing at school? Yeah, all right. All right. And I say, so, Johnny, who's got the problem? Mom. And, uh... And actually, you wonder, 
who's really got the problem? It's probably education, mm. a school, because they work on a nine-to-five society, but these kids don't. Yes. And that's why when they go to uni, they just be their own self. Because uni is a lot more flexible. Mm. That's why a lot of the teenagers struggle because they can't get into school. And they regard as lazy bums, but they're not. They're actually good kids and they do well in their lives. But the thing is, we don't understand the physiology. And once you understand the physiology, you understand the psychology. Mm. And it's interesting you say that about um, like the, the school cycle and the hours. The people who are working from home now because of COVID lockdown... So many people have said what a joy it is to work on their own schedule. They don't mind if they work a little bit later or they take a shorter lunch break because they can just get up when they want and they just feel fine and they're ready for the day. They're not sort of getting up at six and fighting on a train and all the rest of it. Good luck getting people into offices after this. (laughs) People aren't going to want to give out that. Yeah, look, uh, you're spot on, right? Because um, the anxiety of getting up in the morning, getting the train, is a lot of anticipatory anxiety, you know, particularly those who are night owls, I've got to be up at 4.30, 5 o'clock, um, and then it's like 11 o'clock, then it's 12 o'clock, then it's 1 o'clock, and it's, I've got, you know, and it's the same when we used to fly to Melbourne for a meeting that you start thinking with Zoom, it was completely irrelevant, why did I do that for the last 15 years? <laughs> is that crazy? Yes. And then you won't get any sleep, so when you get into a business meeting, you're useless, She's had no sleep. You can't remember what you read for the notes. And you go to the meeting, you're half asleep, and then you, fall, then you, you fly back again. Mm. I said, well, what do you remember of the day? Nothing, you know? Yeah. And so we are probably more productive. I think it's very much up to the individual on how they can be productive. Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, they've got to do the work. But from a, a sleep point of view, yeah. then having the extra one hour of less traveling is very important. Right. And a lot of those who do have a lot of tiredness, they can have that half an hour, one hour nap at home, recharge, and off you go. But if you're working at Waverley Police Station, I think that's a bit difficult to do, actually. <laughs> you know, you're working in, you know, coals, you know. Where are you going to nap? In the salami aisle? Yeah. No, I'm sorry, it doesn't work. But if you're at home, yeah. then it's just perfect. Yeah. And you probably get more done. But I think certainly not, if not working from home fits everybody's, yeah. you know, sort of uh, time scale or personal life or whatever. A lot of youngsters like that bit of jostling around on the train yeah. and sweating. Yeah, it's and, also so, social interaction as well. Yeah, forgetting to, you know, tap your opal Not card, on the London tube, I can tell you, you that. Know, <laughs> um, and they need that sort of, you know, and that's yeah. important for young people. Yeah. But having the choice, I think, is the key. Mm. And, you know, if your physiology is such that you can't quite fit in in to a eight till four, eight till five society, and you've got a bit of flexibility. I think that's good for a lot mm. of people. I have to say, one of the greatest things about leaving hospital medicine for me was, you know, joking, but deliberately saying I'm not going to work from nine o'clock or eight o'clock ever again. The, the earliest I start now is ten, and I'm just a happier person. It just works for me, and I'm a, I'm not a night owl. I mean, I think now I'm actually knackered because you know I've got young kids, but I used to be. Now I've sort of fallen into a better sleep pattern. But, um, yeah, getting up early at 6, you know, to sort of battle around yeah, and get look, get ready um, for a ward round at 7 o'clock, yeah. it's, it's miserable. Yeah, look, um, I, I'm happy to reveal I burnt out when I was in hospital medicine. I yeah. burnt out twice in my life, uh, one back in the UK. Um, so when I got the call up, to come to Australia, that was a big relief. Mm. Um, working in the NHS, non-stop, um, 
working with managers who have only been in the job for six months and just, you know, uh, and they move on and they're stressed and they're overwhelmed. And then eventually when I got to 50, um, doing all the ED stuff, doing nights, being on call, even even if I'm not going to be woken up at nine o'clock and it's unlikely I would do, the anxiety of yes. being called up, I burnt out again and... I got miserable and my wife would, would we look back and say, I was a miserable so-and-so yes. and the kids saw it yeah. and I was unhappy and I had a lot of anxiety and it probably made my ADHD worse. And I realized that um, with COVID as well, I was listening to a podcast with um, the, the senior consultants and the ones who were, you know, in the fifties, my era and they've realized very quickly that life's too short, too precious to be unhappy and not sleep well. Yeah. And I think we're going to have, certainly in my my beloved country is Australia, but blight is very deep, you know, emotionally for me. I think there's going to be a lot of senior consultants who are over 50 who will just resign on block because yeah. they're all burnt out. And I think... I start at 10 as well. Funny you said that. And so not having to go in for seven or eight, do a ward round, be completely just uh, tired. You know, I drop my kids off at school, which is great. I walk the dog in the morning. Um, Barney, by the way, he's a groodle. Great dog. Um, and I drive up to Erina with my clinic is lullaby sleep. I go through the Hawkesbury, you know, with the, with the water and over the Beautiful. bridge. I listen to podcasts. I might listen to you, actually. I was going to say, you need to have I listen to you. Um, I won't, I'll try not to fall asleep. Um, <laughs> otherwise, that'll be a bit messy on the road. Yeah. And I go to work feeling relaxed and happy. And guess what? When I'm happy, my jokes are better. And that um, feeling of laughter, well-being is... I've got 15 people who work for me. They're all young kids. They're all nervous about the jobs. And when I'm happy and my jokes are funny, <laughs> everybody just laughs. We have a great time. Yeah. Mm. And that's so important in a company where there's that well-beingness because you've slept well and you're happy and you're not stressed and you're not anxious. That just spreads to the whole culture of the company. Mm. And I can't, I can't just emphasize that mm. more. You touched on earlier, you spoke about insomnia being a psychological issue. Is that, is that the way it works? How do you diagnose it? And it seems to be some people tend to have it chronically throughout their life. Some people tends to plague them at different stages of their life. Like for me, every six months or, go, six months or so, I'll go through like about of a week or so of just insomnia for no reason. I can't even been able to pinpoint if it's something I've changed in my life. But how do you assess it and, and what, what's causing it? So insomnia... Is a fairly loose term. Mm. Um, technically, if you look at the textbooks, it's can't get to sleep, can't stay asleep, and maybe wake up too early in the morning. But when someone says, oh, I think I've got insomnia, they're not saying, oh, I can't fall asleep, I can't stay asleep, I have early morning awakening. They say, I don't feel refreshed in the morning, or I'm tired in the day. So insomnia is quite a loose term to start off with, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, not be, I meant mean, not being but, able to get to but, sleep, yeah. But when I mean you, I mean yeah. the patient. Sure. And it's both a psychological and a physiological issue. So it's both. And that's what makes it so complex for a lot of doctors to understand. Well, what is it? Is it psychology? Is it physiology or what? And if, if someone goes to the GP and say, I'm not sleeping well, the 
immediately think, well, it's probably psychological. I'll send you to a counsellor or psychologist, wherever. But what they don't have is the physiology, which is where I come in. So someone might be stressed, they might have a bereavement, there might be you know, work going on and uh, work issues, they're worried about the next day, and that cortisol level, which is the physiological aspect, keeping them awake. So the anxiety and the obviously the psychology. But then when they are asleep, then the sleep is so disturbed by those alpha waves and those delta waves. So it's both um, a psychological issue and a, psych and a physiological issue. Yeah. But it's trying to work out what is it that's causing I'm not sleeping very well. Because once you understand that psychology and physiology, then you can then give solutions. And that's the key thing. Because you can monitor this and research that and measure this and yeah. whatever. But at the end of the day, they want a solution, buddy. I can't sleep. I can't function. I, my work is terrible. Yeah. What's the solution? Well, I know what the solution is if I understand the physiology and the psychology. Yeah. Not just, here's some tamazepam and away you go. Well, that seems to be what happens. It's tamazepam, Valium, you know, you Stillnox. Stillnox the, is a big one that a lot oh, of people still take. Oh, man, Stillnox. Oh, my God. Stillnox should be some biological agent in some country we might not like, you know? So it is the worst. I have in 25 years not prescribed Stillnox, ever initiated Stillnox. Right. Patients have come to me from a GP and said, this guy's on Stillnox for 15 years please help and I might continue prescribing it whilst I find other solutions you know so I think GPs are now realising that they come to you you can't sleep here's some still knocks it's not the answer because what happens four weeks later they still go back I said can I have some more still knocks so is it just like a sedative is that, is that what these things yeah, are doing yeah it's a sedative it works on the GABA receptor Right. Um, particularly the GABA-A subunit 1 receptor, which is just hypnotic. Right. That's all it does. And so patients go back to the GP and they say, that still knocks worked. Can I have another script? <gasps> oh, no, I can't give you another script. I'm only allowed to give you one month. <laughs> go and see Dr. Dev at Lullaby Sleep. And so they come to me saying, oh, that still knocks worked. So what happens to their um, quality of sleep and the, and the brain waves when they're on these sedatives? Well, they sleep better because it's a sedative. Uh-huh. But, now, do they, but the, do they still go through the dreaming stage, though, or not? They, they will do. They might do. You know. Right. But the key thing is the quality of the sleep. And Silnox is a sedative, but if anxiety, PTSD, bipolar, ADHD is the driver of, mm. or the hyperarousal state, or the anxiety, or the cortisol is the driver of the insomnia, the Silnox is, is not going to treat that. Yeah. You need to treat the hyperarousal, the cortisol, the PTSD. Right. And that's why it's covering cracks. Because remember, PTSD, ADHD, bipolar, anxiety, depression does not go away when the sun goes down. Mm -hmm. It's still there at night time. It morphos into sleep disturbance. And so still knocks to mazipam, imovane. Uh, if, if some people have quetiapine or suraquil, oh my God, another biological agent that should be banned, you know. You know, that just covers up what the problem is, but there's no solution of the primary cause of the problem. Yeah. And that's where I come in, because I understand the physiology, understand the psychology. Right. That's a, a, it seems to be a common thread, Jake, we've had with um, doctors looking at things from a functional perspective is looking at medicine from a proactive perspective rather than reactionary and looking at getting to the root cause of why someone's got an ailment or an illness or a mm. disorder rather than saying, here's a procedure that will, you know, fix it or here's, here's a drug that'll fix it temporarily without actually working out what's causing it 
comes up again and again. Yeah, every other podcast, just about. Yeah. And I'm sure with with you guys, someone wants to look better. And what you do is you understand the psychology of that. Well, why do you say that? Why Why do you think that will fix what? Will it fix what you've you know the way you feel better? And so you do a lot of that psychological assessment. Where are you coming from? What do you want to achieve? So what important. your targets are? And a lot of those might have a lot of anxiety, might have PTSD, but they think that they might feel better if they look better. But that is not the way to do it. That's not the answer. Because as I said, looking good and feeling good is a conjoint twin effort. And so when you you guys are in the perfect position to understand, all right, you want to look better, we can do this, we can do that. But where's it all coming from? Is it anxiety about your body? Is it anxiety about how you look? And then you think, ah, okay, I'm anxious. Why am I anxious? Is it PTSD? Is it, there's an anxiety trait? Is it, they're just wired? But because they've got no help with regard to how they feel, apart from Tamazipam, oh, I'll try and look, look better because that might make me feel better. And so, you know, you guys in a perfect position to say, actually, now I understand the physiology and understand where you're coming from, I can find solutions for you. Can I tell you where it comes up a lot, um, and it's happened a significant amount after COVID, is teeth grinding. Oh, oh yeah. man. And, I got that. And the link with yeah. snoring and yeah. apnea and ah. mood and everything. Uh, sorry, mate. And it's all come I, out. I, I don't like to disagree with you because you're a good guy and you're from <laughs> Manchester and I'm across the pen so, uh, Deb, I'll tell you some stories off here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I disagree with you. Oh. It's, no, it's nothing to do with snoring. They think it is. It's nothing to do with apnea. It's all to do with the busy brain. Really? It's to do with the alpha waves. Okay, if you've got a busy brain with the alpha intrusions in the EEG, you have migraines. If you have migraines, you have teeth clenching. It's all part of the same planning. But which is driving which? The busy brain, the hyperarousal is driving the teeth clenching and the teeth grinding, which is driving the migraines. It's so interesting. I've so seen you it. have to reduce the hyperarousal state, the cortisol state of that person, and the teeth grinding will well, go. It, well, I noted that because it was, you know, the anxiety of lockdown, which triggered many of these people to come to me for the first time you know and from my perspective i examine them i see they've got large masseters and they've got teeth wear and so on but the the driver was the anxiety not correct anything else not the sleep apnea yes it's not the snoring yeah all right they might have put two three kilos on because a bit deconditioned like we all have but that's not the cause of the teeth grinding yes the snoring it's the hyper arousal state in the brain when they're asleep yeah and the teeth just go lock and grind and the molars go. And that's why you're thinking of Botox in the Mercetta muscles. <laughs> yes. But you have to understand the primary cause. Do yeah. mobile devices have anything to do with that? Like electronic devices, using them before bed or in bed? Does that sort of uh, keep look, the brain aroused for longer than it should? Or is that nonsense? Uh, look, uh, it depends on the individual. Um, we're all busy. We're all doing emails before we go to bed. we all got our, you know... Um, looking at our Facebook page or LinkedIn if you're a boring middle-aged man like me, <laughs> uh, Snapchat if you're a lot younger. Um, does that actually stop you from, you know, having your melatonin secreted to get you to sleep? I think half the battle is not just the blue light exposure, but the actual content of what you're mm. looking at, right. you know. So I think it's a bit of both, actually. But there are some people who are generally night owls and the bright light will delay that so blue light blocking glasses are quite popular yeah. but I think the majority it's just they just need to switch the um, the phone off the iPhone yeah. off or whatever like I get teenagers who have sleep studies or they come in to have a sleep test <laughs> and the, the parents will say um, oh it never goes to sleep before two 
I said, what's he doing until two? Oh, he's on his PlayStation. New PlayStation 5 coming out. All the teenagers are getting very excited. Yeah. Ah! Um, <laughs> and they better come into maybe a hospital environment to have a sleep test. No PlayStation. It's you and the four walls, buddy. Guess what? They all fall asleep at 11. Yes. Because they're not distracted. Yeah. And I, I say to the teenager, so who's got the problem then? You say, PlayStation. <laughs> yeah. You know, they've got the problem. But yes. They need to switch it off. Yeah, exactly. Um parents and babies and, and young children that's a massive one and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have either gone through that or are going through it I mean th- th- you know there's no real answer you know that's what children do they need to feed overnight every two hours or so and we've done it twice now it really is torture and you know I said to myself oh, I'll be fine because I've done this in hospital and and I'm well prepared and and it doesn't work that way I can tell you and my poor wife who had never done that really suffered i mean you know she just doesn't do well without sleep she's just one of those people who needs probably eight or nine hours rather than six or seven uh, nature doesn't care about you when you've had kids it's all no. about your children yeah. it's uh, <laughs> it's awful so so what advice can you give to those people i think um i mean if you've got a newborn you've got to understand the physiology again they don't have light deep dream light deep dream <laughs> you know they just light deep dream blah, 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 it's all over the place <laughs> and milk you think in between all of that a booby booby <laughs> time <laughs> No, that's ja- that's that's Jake actually. Are <laughs> uh, they just a bit of skimmed milk? Uh, and you, you, the, the best advice for a new mum, I was going to say newborn mum. You might feel like it, and a mum of a newborn is you got to understand the the life's I'm sorry the sleep cycles of the child. Mm-hmm. It's broken. So when they're asleep, you sleep. Don't do the washing up. Yeah. Um, you got a dishwasher. Don't watch the, you know, the highlights of the Roosters and the Souths game. That can wait. Yes. There's no highlights there anyway. Um, <laughs> I, just got a, I just got a text message from my partner saying, what in God's name is going down, <laughs> on down there? She's upstairs. Oh, she just it's on. booby time! <laughs> no. Um, so you have to understand the physiology. And then eventually they'll get into a routine. Now, what commonly we see... And I'm sure you'll see mums of young children. Is that the children start to get the routine, like deep dream, like deep dream, longer deep sleeps, Mm -hmm. all right? But then their brain, because it's on this hyperdrive, it doesn't switch off. And they're always on the lookout. We were just talking about this last night. Always on the lookout. A lot of those brains need to switch Mm. off and calm down. And there's obviously ways which we can do that, and that may be something you want to discuss. But a lot of those mums of young children, when the children are sleeping, they come to me and say, I can't sleep. Yes. I say, well, how are your children sleeping? They're fine. So it's like something is switched on, like a cortisol switch, and it won't switch off. I lost count of how many times my wife would say, just just turn off the TV. I think they're crying and there's nothing there. They're hypersensitive for, for Any anything. Any little noise. And then the blokes, they like to put their weight on because they're not playing footy anymore because they've got little baby mm. and you know they look they put weight on they snore the snoring they have sleep apnea then that's 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 just it and it amplifies yeah it amplifies and that's why blokes come to me with young children and they, they a lot of them do go on to CPAP machine because they're stopping breathing all the time so Sleep apnea, I mean, I loosely know what the term means and I think David does, but can you just explain to people what that is? So apnea is a Greek word, means without air. So whilst we're asleep, we're stopping breathing, not having any air going through. Um, permission to uh, to do some voice acting 
of Please, snoring. Please, go for it. Okay, so normally snoring would be just like a continuous... But if you've got apneas... It's like you're being choked. Yeah. And uh, do you enjoy that? That's good, that. Bit of That's voice good. Acting. Um, I think our listeners are going to have a ball um, on this one. <laughs> and it, and it's, it's funny because when I say, oh, look, look at all these... I said... You were listening to it, were you? No, no, I'm just making it up. Oh, that's exactly how my husband sounds. Yes. I said, yeah, because it's, it's snoring in for a bloke is a universal language, you know. Um, actually, women do snore as well. They just sometimes deny it. But it's true. <laughs> women snore as well. And Same as farts. A lot, fart. lot of it is weight gain. A lot of it is actually just the way the anatomy is. And I'm sure you see a lot of individuals individual with an underbite, retronathia and yes. so on. And, you know, the airways compromise. So 30% of people I see who snore and are skinny will still have sleep apnea. It's amazing. Yeah. And so just because they're skinny doesn't mean they don't have snoring and sleep apnea. But that's what sleep apnea is. Snoring itself is not a health issue or a it's a well-being issue for the partner, yes. but the stopping breathing that dis disturbs sleep um, and the oxygen issues might put your blood pressure up. Obviously, it's a medical issue and needs to be looked at and right. sorted by the right people. So if someone's partner thinks that they're doing that, what's the next step? Because you said the GPs aren't very au fait with all this stuff. Oh, look, they are. But what they will do is say, okay, you might have sleep apnea. I know where to send you. Go and get it sorted. Right, okay. But they're not going to sort it out because they sure. need to understand the physiology. That's where doing the sleep test is so important. And that's what my clinic does. We do the sleep test to understand the physiology. But what about through the public system? Because these think these um, services aren't that available, are they? Oh, they're available. I mean, there's lots of clinics in different hospitals. Oh, okay. And you can come into hospital and have your sleep test done. A lot more centres are doing the home testing as well. But with COVID, a lot of these wards were closed down. Mm. So there's a long waiting list. But it's bulk built. And, you know, but if you want it quicker, you might have to go... Um, and get it through the private means. My clinic, we do bulk billing anyway. Okay. So it's a, our, my clinic is a bulk billing service. Yes, yeah. And we, but we, we do all the rural sector as well because, you know, they don't have much maybe as that good access than if you were in the metropolitan areas. So we send out a lot of these kits. The beauty of the kits, they, they come in like a box. You post it out. Wherever Australia post goes, we go. That's brilliant. All yeah. right? Um, even Tasmania, we go. And so we post it out and, you know, they put it on. There's a video to show it on. We phone them. Hey, how's it going? Let's put it on this way. And they, they send it back. We download the data. I do a Zoom clinic, an appointment. I show you the data on Zoom. And then we decide, do you need sleep apnea machine, CPAP machine, or is it a busy brain? Yeah, that's really cool. And a lot of people, interestingly, will say, snore, can't sleep tired in the day. But they don't have the sleep apnea. It's got a busy brain. Just because it's snoring doesn't mean they have sleep apnea. Yeah, that was my question because mm. I'm pretty sure I snore or my wife will tell you I definitely do. But how do I know if I have sleep apnea or, or if it's affecting my energy in the day? How, how do you link the two? Well, well, that's, that's, well, again, that's the precise importance of understanding the mechanism of your tiredness. Yes. Now, tiredness, is, again, is a loose word. I know what you mean, but it could be due to anything. It could be sleep apnea, lack of sleep or underactive thyroid or low iron levels. Or the sleep test is, oh, you have got sleep apnea or you don't. And if you don't, you sleep, your tiredness is due to something else. Yeah, yeah. Now, you might say, well, all right, uh, I've got a bit of sleep apnea. Is that the cause of my tiredness? Well, if it's not severe, I might say, might be. Why don't you try a CPAP machine for a week or two? We'll post one out to you, borrow it for a week or two. Then we'll download the data because you can do that through iCloud and Bluetooth and wireless. The 
Technology is amazing. Yes. And then, hey, look, your sleep apnea is much better with a CPAP. Do you feel tired or not? I still do. Well, you're tired to do something else. Yeah. Snoring is better. Happy wife, happy life. One of our good friends is a, a user of a CPAP and he absolutely loves it, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, I use CPAP. Really? Now, so, yeah, of course. But were you snoring? Did you have apnea? I did it for snoring. Okay. Because my wife's, my wife's a very light sleeper. Yeah. Although the kids are 14 and 16 years old. My, my wife's an elite sportswoman. You know, she's a cyclist. And so any little noise, she's, you know, I laugh. I say, oh, it's probably a cycle bell, you know. <laughs> so, you know, ding, ding. And she, very light sleeper. Right. And, and I, I, I was like most blokes do, I was in denial. I blamed it on the dog. Yeah. I blamed it on the possums as well outside, you know. And then she recorded me. And there's an app you can record. And I thought, ah, okay. What's the app called? A Snore Lab app. A Snore Lab app, okay. Snore Lab app. Going to be downloading that Download tonight. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, ah, better do something about it. And but because she, was, because she races a lot, she, she gets up early and I'd annoy the hell out of her. You know, yep. so so the, okay. So I tried the dental sprint. Didn't quite work for me. Get the size, but I thought I'd try a CPAP machine. Absolutely love it. And I'll tell you what, I do feel better for it. Mm. I do feel better for it. And you know, I might sort of snore and gasp on my back, and after a bit of Chardonnay, I live in Warunga Sanai, so We all drink Chardonnay there, of course. You know? <laughs> we don't drink beer with Chardonnay. And so, and then I realised that I actually feel better for it. And the technology of the CPAP machines are great, very comfortable. They don't make any noise, and so on. But if I didn't feel better for it, I was still tired in the day. The dilemma is, well, the snoring is better. Do you continue doing that for the missus? Or what else is causing you tiredness? Yeah. Mm. So sometimes doing the treatment to understand the mechanism is a little bit of a backward step, might sound. Mm. But it's actually a forward two steps to understand yeah. the solution. Now, it's up to you. You might come back and say, I feel great, but it's not what I want to do. That's okay. Yeah. Provided you've not got a health issue, provided you're not falling asleep driving, that's all right. You didn't get it for Christmas and you'll still do it this Christmas. It's not my problem. You're the one that's married to your wife. Do you find um, <laughs> the compliance for people with CPAP quite low because the perception that it's all clunky and unsexy and... Oh, well, assuming you're, you know, not doing hanky-panky with the machine on, <laughs> unless you live in Wollongong. I think it's kinky down there. Um, no, only joking. Um, Depends where you put it. It's, it's funny. You're, just, you're, you're, you're so from Manchester, aren't you? What about not sexy? If you want to have sex with it, then do it. It's no big deal, mate. It doesn't stop you. The, no, the thing is that you're not snoring and the wife is happy. Correct. That's the only reason why you and I are on this planet. Correct. To keep the wife happy, yes. you know. So it's not to happy do with happy wife, happy life. Exactly, and and feel better for it. Um, or <laughs> my ex-surgical consultant used to say, "Knife before wife." Right. <laughs> so, wow. And that's why I was there till midnight every night. Yeah. And you know, I get guys. I say, "So how long have you been snoring for?" He said, "Since I met my third wife." I thought, "What the hell?" What? I even asked Siri. What the hell is this? Siri said, <laughs> clearly having an affair with a second and third wife successively. I thought, all right, okay. But he said the first two wives never mentioned it, but the third wife is. So he came to That's me hilarious. And, and he did a sleep test. There's a lot of snoring. There's no sleep apnea. He said, I want a solution. Yeah. He's not here saying, oh, try a bit of this. Ain't, you know, oh, don't worry. There's no health issue. Don't worry about it. But that's what traditionally we used to do because it was a health problem. Mm. But it isn't. It's a well-being problem. It's a being happy at home you know you work hard you come home you want a quiet life yeah you want a quiet life you go to bed you're not going to upset anybody with your snoring and he said to me what's the solution i said well you could try this you could try that but the CPAP will work yeah he said, right i'll buy one off he went never saw him again 
Are they expensive to no, buy? No, about fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars. And, you've got and a happy in, life. if you got insurance, they'll pay far for it. Mm. You know, but it's a solution, yeah. and mm. I'm not here to give you solutions that don't work. Yeah, because yeah. I'm doing you a disservice. Mm. Or you're doing a dis I'm doing a disservice to Medicare. You know, why give you a solution if it doesn't work? Here's a solution. It's up to you whether you take it or not. Yeah, mm. that's interesting. So, what are all the other things that happen when you don't get enough sleep? So we spoke about not being able to function properly, not being able to remember things. But like, what about things like heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's? Is that a risk factor when you don't sleep? And how, what's the correlation? Yeah, look, a lot of people are telling, saying to me, I don't sleep, am I going to get Alzheimer's? Yeah, but you're 23 years old. I don't know. I'm not going to be <laughs> around when you're 73 years old. I'll be long gone. Um, and I have to put it into perspective right. that um, there's no evidence of, say, treating sleep apnea will stop people from getting Alzheimer's. I mean, we're all going to live until 120 anyway. Mm. So we're all going to get Alzheimer's, the bloke will get prostate cancer. So there's no hope for us. <laughs> so, um, and I have to put it into perspective, because that's what they read, mm -hmm. the Dr. Google stuff. Yes. If I don't know anything about it, I'll die horribly, horribly. And I say, no, you won't. No one dies from snoring and sleep apnea, unless there's third-party involvement. Mm. They sort of <laughs> think about it in our Siri, <laughs> what the hell does that mean? But it's true. And there's actually no evidence um, that treating sleep apnea will stop people from having a heart attack. There's right. no primary prevention yeah. evidence at all. But what about just uh, lack but, of sleep in general? But though? lack of sleep yeah. will right. um, cause mainly all those aspects we talked about, like not feeling well, the well-being, the psychology, uh, memory, cognitive impairment, multitasking, short-term verbal memory. So interestingly, I get a lot of people who go to a memory clinic and clearly don't have Alzheimer's, but the memory's all mm. over the place. So they come to me and say, is there something wrong with their sleep? Maybe they're not sleeping well. Maybe it's depression that's affecting memory. Mm. So they, they sort of mimicking early Alzheimer's, but actually don't have Alzheimer's. They just don't sleep well. Right. But, but no, not a correlation with other things like heart disease and so on. It's just all... Look, those people who are like in the 70s, they've got hypertension, atrial fibrillation, diabetes, sleep apnea, obesity. It's all about cause and effect. Right. It's all about associations rather than causation. So is the sleep apnea causing the diabetes? No, because if you treat the sleep apnea, the diabetes won't go away. But if you treat the obesity, it will. So it's all part of that complexity of the, of the individual and the medical issues. Where does sleep apnea fit in all of this, in that human being? So if the guy said to me, I've got, I tell them, why are you here? What you're after, mm. like you would do. Why are you here? Why, why do you want a filler? Why do you want Botox? Because my wife says so, or my husband says so. All right, because the it's an audio issue, the snoring. It's a well-being issue because I don't sleep, or it's a health issue because I went into atrial fibrillation and my GP found me to be, have hypertension. Mm. All right. So therefore, when I do the physiological assessment, I'll know exactly what the solution is to treat what the problem is. Because yeah. it's a very much a problem-based medicine. Yeah. What's your problem? Here's a solution. I did... Um I think I was watching a TED talk of that doctor you mentioned, Matt Walker, and he said that um, when daylight saving kicks in and out around various countries around the world, when we lose an hour, and I don't know if this is a stat from one country or just generally, they noticed a 20% jump in heart attacks the day after because people are losing an hour's sleep. And then when we skip back to gaining an hour, it dropped a roughly 20%. I don't know if that's exactly true, but do you know anything about that? Um, look... It's interesting how um, um, sleep 
um, or lack of sleep or even living in Northern Europe where it's cold, um, how that affects platelet aggregation, uh, prothrombotic effects. If you're getting up earlier, then how that affects you know, circulation and so on. So, but again, it's a cause and effect relationship. Is having one hour less sleep a direct cause of heart disease? Now, I haven't seen any evidence to cause that. Yeah. But because there's a lot of people who do epidemiologists who do studies in Alzheimer's and they look at thousands and thousands of people and they measure how much sleep do you get? And they say, ah, we found that, you know, if you sleep for less than 6.95 hours, you're more 2.3 times more likely to get Alzheimer's. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, where do you get that from, buddy? From your computer stats program? Sort of a so you can't link. apply that data right. to the individual. Now, what I'm doing is understand epidemiological data but appropriately apply that knowledge and data to the individual I'm staring at in the Zoom meeting. Yes. And tell them, well, look, like I've said to you, mm -hmm. there's actually no evidence that treating sleep apnea will prevent any heart disease. You know, and at the end of the day, your risk of having a stroke at the age of 23 is probably 0.0000000002. And if I reduce it by 50%, it'll be 0.0000001. Yeah. And as a 23-year-old, does that really matter? Yeah. Because for them, the new girlfriend says, snores like hell and she wants to sleep in another room. That's his problem. Yeah. Mm. Not, he doesn't come to me to say, I do not want to have a heart attack when I'm 75. Yeah. So you've got to understand where, why they're here and seeing me. Right. What about jet lag? Jet lag. That's a horrible one. Well, it is even adjusting, yeah, adjusting to the time zones and, yeah. It's just... Well, it's interesting with the change in the, our body clock is so finely tuned that even changing one hour can be yeah. disruptive. And so they say one hour time zone change, you know, takes about a day to adjust. Yeah. So if you've flown over from London to landed in Sydney, <laughs> like these guys are flying into Darwin, you know, and it's what, 11 hours behind, aren't they? So it's going to take them at least nearly two weeks of you know, hotel confinement to get over the jet lag. What a brilliant idea. Let's get over your jet lag being in hotel confinement. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So by the time they come to Sydney and Melbourne or wherever, They're the already. jet lag's gone. Hey! Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> <laughs> but any strategies to make that better? I, I mean, I know my parents, uh, I don't know if this is dodgy or not, but in the UK, they couldn't get hold of melatonin, whereas when they're in the States, they could. And they would take it and, and they'd say, oh, we feel so much better for it. But yeah, look, I'm a big fan of melatonin. Um, and melatonin is, is great. You can, it's, it's, it's much harder to readjust when you go east. Because mm -hmm. when you go east, when you're going to sleep, say, 10 o'clock in the evening, it's 11 o'clock morning time. Yes, back in London. Mm. So, yeah, you might feel tired and go to sleep, but you won't be able to have your light, deep dream, light, deep dream, light, deep dream, right. and so on. So the melatonin quickens the readjustment of your body clock. Okay. And it can be prescribed. It's compound. So GPs can prescribe. It's no big deal. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's ways of getting melatonin. And, um, yeah, look, a lot of people go to America and buy it from the herbal shop. So every country is quite different, but it's, you can get it compound. Mm. So yeah. how, how do you take it and when would you take it? Like, if let's say you, you've gone from the, the Sydney to London example. Oh, look, it all depends on the length of the journey, whether you've had a break in Dubai uh, or the time you've set off, what time you're landing. And so... The best advice is when you've landed, take it on the night 
Yes. Before you go to bed. Because if you try and work it out yourself, then you actually think you're going to Peru instead. <laughs> you're going the wrong way, buddy. Yeah. You're taking your melatonin wrong. Okay. And so you're better off, you know, rather than trying to work it out. It's no point taking it in the departure lounge because it, it's quite sedating melatonin. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you've missed your flight. Okay. So you're better off, nice and simple. When you arrive, if you arrive in the daytime, make sure you're exposed to sunlight. Make sure you're out and about. Um, if you're feeling absolutely rotten, then yeah, look, try and get a little bit of sleep because, you know, it's worse, you know, just well-being if you haven't got any sleep. And then just try and stay up and then down the hatch, eight o'clock and then bang. Right. Yeah, okay. okay. And then do that for three nights, I would mm. say. What about snoozing? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You wake up at six o'clock, you hit the snooze button, you go back to sleep for half an hour. Is that good for you or bad for you? Or are you sort of in between these sleep cycles, which you're saying is probably not ideal? Yeah, look, if you're if you get if you if you're waking up, the alarm goes at six and you snooze until seven. So why why go to about six then? So um, <laughs> yeah, you I've never understood that way. You might people do that. People do that. People and say, if, and if you snooze in, if you, if snoozing is trying to get you gently into the day, yes. then you might just sleep until seven and just you know yeah. Have the alarm and out. Well, I think some people say they need that time to sort of wake up and then it's like... Sounds like they need to work out where they're on their rhythms. Correct. There we go. They need to work out the physiology of their sleep cycles. Okay. And is everyone the same? Or how do you sort how would you sort of self-assess that quickly? Because I oh, guess look, there might be variability between people. Yeah, look, there's some wearables that are pretty good that give you like an idea oh, like, of like, sleep like cycles. Whoop? You know, like so, whoop, the, uh, the yeah, Fitbits. the thing that I'm gonna buy yeah. you. The Fitbits <laughs> yeah. and that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, look, they're all trends. They might not be accurate from a, a minute by minute basis, yeah. but they give you trends. Right. And then they give you trends of you know, based on if they're doing the pulse rate variation of the heart rate variability then you can have some idea of how long your cycles are. Because someone might be two hours, someone might be 90 minutes. Right, gotcha. So, okay. Yeah. We did flag um, time and stuff, but we're, we're almost at a natural end. And I wanted to ask about some of the things you mentioned at the start, things like rested, restless legs, um, sleepwalking and sleep terrors. I know my sister used to have sleep terrors. It's yeah. a bit weird, but what's going on there? Like, is, is there a grade or is it a spectrum or is it, are they isolated things? Um, so nightmares is a dream phenomena. Mm-hmm. So it occurs only in dream sleep. Um, night terrors is when, particularly in young kids, they suddenly prop themselves up, scream the house down and then back to sleep again. It's mm. a non-REM, slow-wave sleep phenomena. And when you have arousals, awakenings, so to speak, in slow-wave sleep, they either present as night terrors or confusional arousals, they call, where you sort of prop yourself up, look around, look a bit dazed, and then back to sleep, or sleepwalking. Mm. Um, so it's a non-REM phenomena. So when someone's sleepwalking, are they asleep? They're technically asleep. They're still in slow-wave sleep. I don't think I've ever seen someone sleepwalking, have you? No. My oh, there's, lots of you, there's lots of YouTube yeah. videos. It's, look, it's not something out of Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Dooby-Doo, <laughs> where are you? It's not Scooby-Doo, you know, with their arms up like this. Yeah. Um, no, they they just walk, they look dazed, they go downstairs, they might do weird things like um, make a sandwich or two and uh, leave crumbs everywhere, put the TV on, fall asleep, and then they go back to, to the bedroom. Right. They sort of not, but they have no memory or no recall. Because in, in slow wave sleep, you don't have recall in 
what you were doing. But they do very, almost very basic monosyllabic stuff. Mm. You're not going to do a Jamie Oliver five-course Christmas meal. It's like they're on autopilot. Yeah. You sort of. And you might talk to them and say, hey, it's like being my teenager again. How's it going? Yeah. What's up? Don't know. Pizza. Pepperoni. <laughs> you know, and that's what they say. And you think you're having a conversation with them. Yeah. And you sort of say, are you really? Yeah! I don't think so. You know, it's a very abstract, very basic sort Is of conversation. Is it dangerous to wake those people up? Oh, yeah, interesting you say that because they do thrash out a little bit. And you best just guide them back into bed. Right. And then just leave them to it. And look, if they're not falling down the stairs, you're not putting their hand through a window, not walking across <laughs> the road, just leave them. They'll grow out of it. But some don't. Another thing is the alpha waves and... Um, the alpha intrusion driven by anxiety is another priming factor, another trigger factor for sleepwalking in, in adults as well. Right. Mm. Hmm. So they might not have done it for so long and, and then they go to uni or stress, sleep deprivation, anxiety, and then, wow, the sleepwalking comes back. Right. And there's usually a genetic basis, so there's usually someone in the family that also does yeah. it. Parents, okay. Uncle Bob or whoever. <laughs> I feel like we could sit here and talk to you for hours, Dev. Like we haven't even got to the primary reason we contact you in the first place is because you're one of the only, only or one of the only prescribers for medical cannabis in yes. the country. And yes. for sleep. Need, sorry, for sleep, for, for sleep. sleep. Yes, yes, for sleep. But we, we have mention, to get, we're, gonna, we're gonna have to get you back. But have, uh, a, have a give uh, yeah, people a preview. I'll give you a briefing. Sure. Look, for me, medicinal cannabis has been a complete revelation for my profession, sleep medicine for insomnia, and for other things, actually. And, look, I don't sit around the fire singing Jimi Hendrix songs. I'm, I, I live in Warunga and Knives. I've got a boring family. Wife, two kids, and a dog called Barney. I think I've said that already. So I don't do that sort of stuff. But what's been a revelation for me is the physiology, understand the pharmacology, and how to treat the psychology. Again, it's called good medicine. And a lot of the role of medicinal cannabis, like CBD oil and THC, has come from a lot of research from the chronic pain group. Because mm -hmm. a lot of these guys were saying, my pain is better, but I sleep better. You think, I wonder why. And it wasn't until, you know, I think a decade or two ago, we understood about the endocannabinoid system. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of CNS, central nervous systems, in the brain, you know, the, the endorphin system, the dopamine system, the acetylcholine system, the adrenaline system. But endocannabinoid is a, another huge system that has a massive impact on how we cope with anxiety, how we sleep and so on. And so for me, CBD oil, which by the way, you don't get CBD oil in marijuana, so I like to demyth that. Yeah. You get THC in marijuana, but not CBD oil. CBD or cannabidiol, you get in the hemp plant. Mm -hmm. Now hemp we grow to make plants, but it's in the flower you get a lot of CBD oil. And it's a CBD oil that activates or sort of sits on the endocannabinoid system to reduce that hyperarousal cortisol response, which is why a lot of guys that I see, that you might see, with anxiety, the clenching. Yeah. So I have a lot of patients, you treat the hyperarousal, treat the busy brain, the migraines improve, the teeth clenching improve. So CBD oil, going back to basics, treats the hyperarousal, will treat the secondary physical causes. Now, THC is a very important chemical as well. And in small amounts at medicinal levels, very good for chronic pain, very good for insomnia as well. So I've got a lot of people on a little bit of both. I have about 400 patients on medicinal cannabis for insomnia. I'm an authorized prescriber, Department of Health. And I'll tell you, it's been a revelation. Um, and to get them off 
Dazepam, Tamazepam, Zopiclone, Cotiapine has also been a big thing for many of these people. Mm. But, you know, you've got to be careful where you get this stuff from. Um, and the medications that I use is all TGA, Therapeutic Goods Administration approved. It's all Department of Health approved. You, you don't go to backstreet places and get it because you don't know what's in it. Yeah. Is it THC? Is it a bit of pesticides? Is it a bit of chili oil? <laughs> Actually, the chili cor coriander oil is very nice. I got from one the other day. Um, it's probably, so you, you, it doesn't work. Well, put it in your pasta instead then, you know, a bit of CBD oil. It's actually chili coriander oil. <laughs> so you've got to be careful where you get this stuff from. It's got to be supervised. Now, GPs can prescribe this stuff and they have to go to the TGA approval as an authorised prescriber. I don't have to do that because I'm qualified to do so. And I do a lot of teaching. I do a lot of uh, webinars for GPs because they want to learn about the subject yeah. so for me medicinal cannabis please don't call it medicinal marijuana because you don't get cbd marijuana right okay yeah. the americans call it medicinal marijuana or medicinal marijuana and you know it just yeah no it's medicinal cannabis or cannabinoid right okay well i think that's a great um teaser for yes. episode two of sleep yes definitely yeah. we'll have to get you back uh, probably another another sunday night session seems to be the only day we can we can all get together Thank so that, that sounds good pleasure. but for people that well, I guess whether they be people listening to this who want to improve their sleep or a medical professional that wants to refer yeah, to you or how, how, do, how do people get in uh, touch? Dr. Dev, D-E-V, um, lullaby, L-U-L-L-A-B-Y sleep, lullabysleep.com.au. Perfect. Uh, we've got a great website. Uh, I'm bulk billing doctor. Um, that's probably from my NHS days. Mm. I, I don't want to charge people. I give them value. Yeah. My jokes, you know, <laughs> that gives value. But we look after you. I've got a great team of 15 people. Uh, do all the insomnia, the sleep apnea. Although we're based in Central Coast in Arena, right. um, we reach out to everybody wide across Australia and Tasmania. And so, yeah, look, um, if you're having problems with your sleep, um, get it fixed because yeah. don't suffer in silence. Yeah, absolutely. Sound advice. It is a great way to end. Thank you for joining us. And we're looking forward to getting you back for episode two. I've got to say, it's one of the most fun podcasts yeah. we've done the fact that we're in the studio we're, yeah. we've been zooming a lot and you know for your profession that's working well but when we're trying to establish a nice rapport with our guests sometimes it's a bit clunky yeah so thank you for being so engaging and for your time Deborah. We and thank you it. and i'm sure you'll censor many of the things i've said yes. but uh, <laughs> no probably not actually keep it free time <laughs> it's party time thanks that's thanks, all folks <laughs> see you later bye bye for our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.